Welcome to Season 11 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the pleasure of sharing a conversation that I had with the brilliant Brendan Lee. Brendan is a school leader, researcher and podcaster from Sydney, New South Wales. After almost 10 years as a high school teacher, he left the profession and opened up a cafe. While that time in his life taught him a lot about running a business, it also left him with a sense that he had unfinished business in education. He runs a great website called Learning with Mr. Lee and a podcast called the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did with the brilliant Brendan Lee. Brendan, uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Where are you phoning in from? I'm um, on the Lower Blue Mountains uh, in New South Wales. So yeah, um, lovely place. Bit bit chilly at this time of the year, but yeah, beautiful. Have you had any snow yet? No, I'm not. I'm not that far up. It's probably it, it snows probably another half hour up the up the mountains. But um, yeah, right now, it's uh, it's not too bad. Uh, Brennan, quite possibly um, the most important uh, question for our conversation: What's your uh, what's your coffee order when I can finally nip over and buy you one? Yeah, Matthew. You know, we had a chat before about how I did used to run a cafe. So yeah, that's um, right. I will declare that I'm a massive uh, coffee snob, mm-hmm. and so my like my coffee of choice is probably um, a a strong flat white or a piccolo. Yeah, strong flat white's my. Uh my coffee of choice. What do you think um, your coffee order says about you? Are you someone that likes no nonsense and getting it done? Uh, I think, yeah, or, probably a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that caffeine hit and then I'm good to go. Nice one. <laughs> and we'll get in, in a little while to uh, some of the lessons from running a cafe that you think have kind of um, carry over really nicely into school leadership. But um, before we get into that, is there a book uh, that you've recently read? It could be within your sphere of um, education or it could be more broadly uh, that has uh, caused you to stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Uh, yeah, look, you know, I'm constantly, I probably constantly have about eight books on the run at any one time. Uh, and I'm someone that I kind of dip in and out of, of books depending on what, what bit of information I need. Uh, like, you know, I've had books that have been, you know, really trans transformational for, for my own knowledge like books like um, Daniel Willingham's Why Don't Students Like School uh, but then I also like to kind of read a bit outside of education as well and, and try to pick up tips from there so um, one book that I found really interesting was uh, The Voltage Effect so that was by uh, John A. List and so yeah he just kind of looks at um, basically the tagline is making good ideas great great yeah Interesting, interesting. And uh, is there a book uh, that has surprised you? I know my wife is trying to get me uh, into fiction, which I'm actually really struggle with, to be honest, because I really enjoy the um, kind of five dot points to success uh, that you get in most uh, uh, most kind of business books and strategy books. But is there a genre that you're trying to uh, break into? Yeah, look, I'm pretty similar to you. Where and, and you know, it was funny. I actually had this conversation tonight with with my family, 
where uh, my wife and daughter, they were trying to you know, tell me to expand my range in, in what I'm reading. But I just said, I just don't have the brain capacity to take in anything else at the moment. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's right now, you know, I've kind of got to be really intentional with my time. And as yeah. I said, I've already got a kind of enough books that I'm reading yeah. that if I try to um, dip into something else, um, yeah, I just don't have the, the time or the brain capacity to take it in. Nice one. And uh, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, uh, obviously your lovely family uh, isn't included in the headcount, yeah. uh, but who would you like to sit down with and have a chat? It could be people that are with us or people that have passed. Yeah, look, I took I took this um, to the extreme. Okay, uh, and I love that. And, and basically looked at people that it would be impossible for me to ever meet with. Right, okay, <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yeah, my first one, I've got a bit of a, a sporting background. So the first couple have a bit to do with sport. Great. Um, one is Muhammad Ali. Amazing. Yeah, just, you know, such, I really admired everything that he achieved and what he was about. And I, I just think he would be, yeah, like, you know, so entertaining to have yeah. a, at a dinner as well. Um, the second one is a fictional character, Ted Lasso. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if you've watched the series, but it's uh, like, it, yeah, it's a classic and, and just um, so many tips that, that you can take out of, of his character and uh, about leadership and, and just, I guess, about being a, a good human being, really. Yeah, um, yeah and then th- there's one which is uh, slightly related to education, but just also, like um, you know, philosophy and, um, you know, I've kind of taken a lot out of the, the Stoic values, so um, Plato, um yeah, just a, a philosopher that has had a big impact on um, a lot of the ways that I think in in life. Nice. So um, Muhammad Ali, Ted Lasso and Plato, that could be a yes. conversation. Yeah. And then the other two are just um, like kind of people that I probably found found out more about their career after they had passed away. So um, Barack Rosenshine and, uh, you know, so he's he's got Rosenshine's principles um, of instruction. And then Richard Elmore, who's uh, he was a professor yeah. as well. Who, yeah, I, I again, I I really only found out about him after he'd passed away, and um, he was just a really profound thinker on all things to do with education. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite a uh, a mixed bunch, and it'd, it'd be a very interesting dinner party, I'm sure. Mate, if you've got an extra seat at that table, I'd love to <laughs> love to tag along. That sounds uh, sounds really interesting. Um, I'm just interested, Brendan. Um, what was your um, upbringing like and what are you most grateful for from your family because you're somebody that seems to be uh, constantly producing things and you seem to be very busy and contributing a lot to our wonderful profession but where do you think this um this sort of drive and determination and, and, and passion comes from sorry that's a bit of a double-barreled question um and feel free to take the time to <laughs> uh yeah look i guess that uh, my upbringing probably, I was never, um, I never fit the stereotype. So I was a, a Chinese, uh, Australian born uh, that grew up in Redfern. So for those of you that don't know, Redfern is a, is a bit of a, a rougher area. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really kind of fit in there, but I played rugby league. Right. And so again, that was my kind of way in, but um, I was probably the only Asian kid that played rugby league throughout my whole kind of career. Um, and what I kind of took out of sport was just the, I guess the, um, the, the frame, the frame of mind to understand that like a lot, there's some things that are in your control and some things that aren't in your control Yeah. and that you've just got to do as much as you can, um, in terms of 
fulfilling your potential uh, when it comes to those things that are in your control. Fantastic. And yeah, so when I was kind of trying to make it as a, a footballer, uh, you know, you the, the things you can't control are whether you get picked in the team or not. <laughs> but the things you can control is how hard you work, um, yeah. you know, and the effort that you put in and, and um, how you, you kind of help your teammates along the way. So yeah, I've, I've kind of always just had that sort of mentality of, of just whatever I'm doing, do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. Um, but I haven't always been this driven in education, like not not to the extent that I am now. And I, and I kind of, um, I liken myself a bit to like a, a born again um, educator. <laughs> it's interesting. Where my, my first, um, the first part of my career was more, so I was actually a, a, a high school PDHPE teacher. Right. And like loved it, but it was more about, yeah, just, um, you know, the, the group that I was with in front of me. So the school that I was at, at the classes that were with me, um, it wasn't really that holistic point of view of, you know, what can I do to kind of improve the educational outcomes of as many young people as possible. Interesting. Um, yeah, and it, it, it was only after I had left teaching, so that's when I ran the cafe and then returned, um, that I started to kind of, I returned with, I guess, a bit more of a purpose. I mean, that, that's really interesting, Brendan, to hear about your um, your background and some of the things that motivate you. Um, I'm, I'm just interested. What was it like? I mean, you talked about a, a, a Chinese-Australian-born um, boy living in Redfern. I've spent a fair bit of time in Redfern. I went to, to Sydney Uni, and, and there's not a lot of... A Chinese people playing rugby league uh, in in Redfern. So, what was that like to um, to not see people like yourself um, as positive or as role models? Um, did you have to? Did you feel like you had to kind of pave pave your own path? Or, or yeah, what what was that like? What was that experience like? Yeah, probably a little bit of that. Um, you know, I was I was fairly fortunate to an extent where I didn't I didn't really experience a lot of outward racism um yeah. there was probably more of that i guess you know it's, it's definitely still not okay but it's it's more of that australian kind of way of of making jokes yeah you know and, and so i definitely copped a lot of that um growing yeah. up but yeah I, it probably also helped me develop a bit of a thicker skin as well yeah yeah <laughs> um it- it, yeah. It's interesting because our, um, uh, as you just saw, my little one just just ran in and uh, while well, we were having a chat, and um, my wife was born in South Africa. She's Indian South Africa, and I was born in England. And my my our kids are the the only Australian born people in our family, and so they are um, mixed background kids. Um, I like I said, I was born in the UK. My wife was born in South Africa. And so it, it raises interesting questions about what is Australian. I mean, I live near Cronulla. I've got blonde hair and blue eyes. People just, I guess, assume that I've, <laughs> I've always lived near the beach. But it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's really made me think um, about sort of the roles of schools and the importance of people seeing or students seeing people that look and sound like them and having positive role models. And, and I, I, I commend you kind of for making these, I guess, these new tracks. I mean, you, you're doing some really amazing work in education and, and we will touch on that in a moment. And before we get there, um, I did want to uh, ask you about your cafe management days. Um, uh, tell me about, so my understanding is that, did you do that after you're a high school PDHPE teacher? Did you leave teaching for a while? go back into it or what talk to me about that transition and what was that like 
Yeah, I, I kind of went through that emotional roller coaster that a lot of teachers go through. Yeah, uh, you know, I, where like I just go through that every term, to be honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it yeah. just got to the stage where I was just kind of feeling like um, I didn't have that that same connection to what I was doing. And yeah, so I, I left for a couple of years, opened up a cafe. Um, yeah, massive, massive learning curve that was. And, yeah. and where was the cafe? What was that, sorry? Where was the cafe? Uh, just in Leichhardt, so in the west of Sydney. And um, yeah, a bit of a different cafe, cafe really family friendly. Um, so we had like an outdoor player, we had classes and um, parties. So a lot going on, multifaceted. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess that just added to the complexity of running that sort of business as well. Um, and I, yeah, I, it was a very humbling experience, you know, where uh, I probably went in, I definitely went in thinking that I knew more than I did about uh, running a cafe. You know, you, you go and visit, I'm sure you would over in Cronulla, Matt, but, uh, you know, you go and visit a cafe and you're like, geez, how hard could this be to run a cafe? Uh, you know, all they have to do is talk to people all day and and make sure that they're, they're uh, getting served properly and, uh, and that's kind of the mentality I had going into it. I was really fortunate that I had my brother um, alongside me. I actually dragged him into it. Um, and and one of the positives was that we like that was probably the hardest time of our relationship, but it also kind of um, brought us together in a way as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough because yeah, I had a um, uh, my best mate at the time. We went into business together, and it, it but basically completely threw apart our, our friendship Gosh. um yeah so it was it was just really tough you know it puts a lot of pressure on your family when you when those sorts of things happen yeah um yeah so a lot of things that i learned um but yeah after that i, I basically felt like i had unfinished business in education and and uh part of the, the the reason that i felt that kind of disconnect from what i was doing uh in in high school was that I felt like a lot of students were coming into to high school and they were already disengaged from their learning. And so it was just really frustrating. And so I kind of wanted to see what was happening at the other end and, and yeah. see if either I could make a difference or at least find out what was happening. Um, yeah, and so that, that's when the, the transition basically started. Yeah, interesting. And did you feel like when you... Uh, sorry, I'm really interested. The reason why I'm... I'm stopping on this for a little while is I'm really interested in those transition points because I know there's a lot of teachers that I've worked with in the past that have wanted to make a change but it's too difficult or too comfortable or they're risk averse and so I, I'm, I'm fascinated in those people that that decide to make a change um, and what that process is like and we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about change management and how we guide people through that process but did you feel like when you went back uh, into education, you're a different type of teacher, or, or what? What had changed in you? If anything? Yeah, definitely, my mindset had changed. You know, whereas in the past, I kind of um, let what other people um, said or thought about me kind of affect me. Whereas this time, it was like I'm doing things my way. Um, you know, Nuts. regardless, and and I've got my kind of purpose behind what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and I found, you know, like when you're talking about like that transition and, and getting through those difficult times, like for me, by having that, that real sense of purpose in, in what you're doing, that moral purpose, um, yeah. it kind of doesn't make work feel like work anymore. Mm. You know, like you definitely still have your tough periods and um, it can be stressful and um, frustrating and all of that. But uh, you also kind of know, well, look, I'm doing this for a reason and, and you kind of keep coming back to that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think when it comes to your decision-making, it just makes it a lot easier. 
So um, for you, Brendan, what is your reason and what is your reason why you put so much, um, spend so much of your time Monday to Friday at work and also during school holidays? What's the thing that um, that drives you and is that driven at all by your own experience at school? Um, like in terms of my own experience at school, probably... It, like I, I probably had a good experience. I wasn't uh, clever in any way. I just kind of worked hard at it. Uh, yeah, I wasn't naturally gifted in any sense. Um, you know, as I said, like my other focus was also probably on sport. But um, I still worked hard in the classroom. Um, but then, yeah, in terms of, I guess, like how does it all kind of fit in now and, and um, you know, what I'm doing... It, it probably comes back to just like working out and and supporting um, you know each other and teachers in in working out like how can we help other teachers make that connection to what they're doing um, so that they feel yeah. like there is that purpose and um, and that it aligns to you know what the yeah. school's um, direction is as well. Yeah, well, was there um, a teacher, Brendan, at school that or or teachers that made a difference in your life and and if so um yeah what what, what was that like yeah uh the, like there was probably yeah one of my footy coaches uh dave howlett uh he's he's over at i think he's still at endeavor sports high which is where oh, i went down, that's down the road from me yeah yeah I, that's why i thought i'd mention it um yeah. yeah he he was probably someone that had a huge impact on me um and, and it was all to do with just the relationships you know like he he stayed in, in touch even like after I left school and he came and visited the cafe, um, you know, when I had that going. So I guess it just kind of shows like, you know, you can be really invested in, in your students and, um, you know, create that connection um, that can kind of be lifelong yeah. in a way, yeah. And, and what was it in particular that, um, that Dave did? I mean, you mentioned, it's funny when I ask this question, no one has ever told me what that person taught them in the sense of they've never said they taught me how to measure angles or they taught me how to write a persuasive text or they taught me how to whatever. They always talk about how that teacher made them feel. And mm -hmm. so what was it um, about Dave that he did um, that made him so memorable? Uh, yeah, I guess it, it's just that like really real sense of care that he had. And you can't make that up, can you? You know, no, like yeah. you, either, you either care or you don't. Yeah. You don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And have you had the chance to uh, um, uh, to reach out and and and, and uh, talk to him since you've um, since you, I know you mentioned he, he went to went to a cafe, but if you had a chance to thank him or um, probably not not in this way, uh, yeah. But I, I you know I, I definitely would like to, and nice. yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I. Uh, could still do. Hopefully, someone can share this podcast with him. Yeah, well, if I, when I'm driving past Endeavour, I'll. Uh, yeah. the um, it's really funny, Brendan, because I am, um, as I mentioned, I went to school. I think I mentioned I went to school in the UK, in the middle of nowhere, very monocultural, sort of beautiful farming land. And um, uh, the teacher that made a huge difference for me was um, my year three teacher, Mrs. Jones. And I, and I had the opportunity to interview her on the podcast. And she had no idea the impact that she made. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure every single student in her class, she made feel valued and cared for. But for me, it just felt extra, spe extra special. Um, and I think when I talked to her about it, and I went back and my mum still lives next to the school. And so um, when I went back to see her, um, I called in to see Mrs. Jones and gave her this sort of big, ugly, I cried and this big, 
awkward hug and like she but she genuinely had no idea and I think that's the sort of the true indicator of a of a great teacher is we just don't know the impact um that we're having and I'm sure um Dave has impacted many students lives across his career but uh yeah it's it's really lovely to hear those stories I'm yeah really grateful that you would that you would share that um Brendan I'm just wondering um uh, Moving on slightly, um, we've talked a little bit about leadership and, and talked about um, the impact that Dave had, had on your life and also kind of uh, your role in leadership um, when you came back to, to teaching. But how would you define um, leadership and do you think it's changed over the years? Yeah, look, it's definitely changed. And, and yeah, I've been um, really fascinated by you know, leadership and I guess the, the reasons behind why there are so many different styles of leadership that we see, especially from like school leaders. And uh, yeah, I read a really interesting bit of research from uh, the Ambition Institute. Um, I think they they released it last year or the year before, and it it was looking at like it um, described the history of, of uh, you know the the school leaders' role, or the principals' role, and it looked at how like uh, you know twenty years ago, it was more to do with um, management and administration yeah whereas now on top of that it's probably more seen as like capacity building yeah you know and and i think like that's a um important thing to understand because you know you've got a lot of uh school leaders who probably are better administrators or better um at managing but maybe they don't have that um capacity building ability and then the issue that we have is that then we have staff who are underneath um, you know, these school leaders who are maybe hoping to have a principal who is more of a capacity builder. And so it's, it, it comes back to that, I guess, um, misalignment of uh, what we feel the roles and responsibilities are of the person in charge um, or yeah. people in charge. Cause, and again, it can be the same thing with the middle leaders as well. You know, is that we can have really good administrators and managers, uh, you know, people who are, are great at programming and, and things like that, but then they might not necessarily have the people skills um, to support staff in developing. Yeah. And, and so what do you, I mean, that's, there's so much in that, isn't there? Like, I think we've all worked with people or for people that are great managers, but are not necessarily great at building capacity and other people that are great at building capacity, but administratively, they kind of yeah. get left behind a little bit um what do you think are um some of your strengths um as a leader um and also what do you think are, or what are some of the things that you're currently trying to get better at yeah i guess um like one of the things that i've, I've just worked really hard on is building my own knowledge and i think that's that's just so important as a leader to have the knowledge um on you know what the research is telling us, what the evidence is telling us, because it allows you to make informed decisions, not mm -hmm. just based mm -hmm. off gut feel or um, anecdotal or your own experiences, but you're actually, you know, coming from um, a place that is supported by the evidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've just found that that's allowed me to make um, more effective decisions. And, you know, like we're making, you know, hundreds or thousands of decisions every single day, whether you're in the classroom or in a school leader position. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you want to try to have a high percentage of those decisions being right than wrong, um, you know, because otherwise that can have like huge ramifications on, on not just like your school, but the students within the school as well. Mm. Would um, would you say, um, Brendan, you're a particularly 
a reflective leader? I mean, and if so, what are some of the questions that you um, ask yourself each day or every term? Because it's something that I'm trying to get a bit better at, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, are you, are you are you particularly reflective, and ro- what role does that play? Yeah, I think I've I've kind of gone down that that path of like the more you know, the more you realise that you you still don't know. Mm. And and so when it comes to reflection, yeah, I'm constantly kind of thinking and just challenging my own thinking of, you know, um, you know, am I sure in in saying that or uh, you know, if if in terms of like curriculum or pedagogy, am I really sure about you know the things that I'm kind of um, promoting or pushing? Um, yeah, and I think it's important to have that mindset as well. You know, like if we if we really want to be going by the evidence, then we've got to be willing to change when that evidence um, changes as well. Yeah, yeah. And is there something that, um, I mean, this could be in regards to education or it could be more broadly, but is there something that you have changed your mind about or something that you have been been wrong about? I mean, if you ask my wife that question, she will list off a number of things that I was wrong at. Uh, but is there anything that, yeah, that you've changed your mind about recently? Yeah, prob- well, this is probably not necessarily recently, but it was. it's more to do with like um, when I started to move into school leadership it was to do with or I, I kind of felt like oh, I could I could do a better job than a lot of people in, in those school leadership roles yeah we've all been and, there <laughs> yeah. yeah and so I guess um, one of the things that I've realized is just how complex school improvement is and, and um, you know to implement effective education like it's it's just so complex it's not easy at all so yeah. that's that's one thing I've changed my mind about yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. Like I, um, before I was in the role, I've, I've been privileged to be um, in the assistant principal role for about seven years. Um, more recently, substantively, which is wonderful because it means that you can actually have a bit more of a long-term um, approach to changing things. But um, yeah, one of the things that I, I always had these opinions about how things should be done. Um, I thought I, I mean, I'd read a couple of management books this is sort of 10 years ago and I thought, geez, how hard can it be? Um, but then when you get in the role or you, you sit in the leadership seat, it, it's quite a different um, it's quite a different story, isn't it? I mean, school improvement is incredibly difficult. I mean, we're dealing with mini humans and also grown up mini humans, so that brings its challenges as well. But uh, I mean, what are some of the things that you um, sort of are currently trying to do to improve your leadership? You talked about building your knowledge, but um, do you? Um, do you get in early and work on essential tasks? Do you stay back late? Are you a a high? Um, are you a, 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 a great communicator? What are some of the things that you sort of are trying to do in terms of your leadership at the moment? Yeah, I think like you touched on a big one there is is a communication thing. Um, I, I think like I'm someone that'll really work hard on just building those relationships because I understand like how important it is. Uh, to to build that trust, uh, like the, so, the role I'm in now, I'm in a assistant principal curriculum and instruction role. So, for those that aren't in New South Wales uh, public schools, um, it's basically a, a position where you're not on class, and uh, so you're you're working more with teachers and and trying to support them in um, implementing yeah best practice in the classroom and and um, how they might look at the curriculum as well. And so, what I've I've just found really important is that you know if you're going to be working with teachers and they're going to be kind of exposing themselves and and uh, being a yeah. bit vulnerable with you because that's what it is when you're um, allowing a teacher to come into your classroom 
uh, they've got to trust you and not feel like they're being judged. You know, I, I, I want them to feel like it's part of the development process, not part of me coming in to judge whether they're an effective teacher or not. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, tricky. And, and and one of the tricky parts about that is as well is that, you know, you need time with teachers to do this. And, yeah. and so one of the, probably the, the biggest thing that I've really been grappling with in this role is understanding that teachers are under a heavy workload but also understanding that if I can help improve um, their ability as a teacher, that it's actually going to also decrease their stress levels as well yeah. because they'll have less behavior management problems. They'll have more students yeah. learning in their classroom. Yeah. They'll be, you know, more organized just, and it just in general more effective. And so, yeah, yeah it's definitely a, a tricky one because you need time to work with teachers, but the teachers are feeling overloaded. And so it's just about being um, as effective and efficient as you can when you have that time um, with yeah. teachers. Well, one of the things that 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 I've tried to do, um, I'm not in the assistant principal um, curriculum instruction role. I'm a, um, a stage two assistant principal, but of course we work really closely with our APCNIs. And some of the feedback that I got given was that I, I, I I'm not always approachable, um, and so I um, I always thought I was. I always used yeah. to pride myself on that, and I'm like, what do you mean? I'm always there. But some of the feedback I got was that I always seem busy and difficult to have a quick conversation with. And so um, I put a – it's interesting as well. That raises questions about sort of leadership and self-awareness. I actually thought that was a strength of mine. But um, what I've started doing is is I've now got QR codes on my office door because I want to find out – it's really hard to, like, measure trust and approachability and all of these skills that are kind of – difficult to quantify so I've got a and I invite people whether it's students or staff or parents to give me feedback and so there's a um, a link on um, uh, a, QR, a, a QR code linked to a Google form and I, I ask my students and my staff and my parents to basically give me a scale saying Mr. Green is approachable or Mr. Green listen to me or Mr. Green help me solve my problems or Matt is someone that I would trust. And so I, I try and gather, sorry, I try and gather all of these sort of different um, leadership attributes. And it's been really interesting. I've noticed that when kids are annoyed at me, they give me pretty harsh feedback. Um, and I've also noticed that uh, I get a variety of sort of feedback from my staff. But um, like how important do you think is that to be able to be I guess, reflective on your leadership practice and, and to, to be actually, to be someone that is willing to kind of change and develop and grow. Yeah, I think it's extremely important, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, scary it's very... Feedback. Yeah. What was that, sorry? It can be scary stuff sometimes, feedback, but it's essential, I think. Yeah, it is essential. And I, and I think that's where, like, you know, the person, like part of the reason why we need to have uh, these, these trusting relationships, you know, psychological um, safety what what like the reason why it's so important is because when you're receiving this feedback you need to receive it so you know with the mentality that you're on the same team not mm. like they're um you know they're kind of picking at holes in, in yeah. you as a, a leader or a, a teacher yeah. uh, and so that that's the other tricky part is you know like the, the person delivering that feedback hopefully you felt like um you know they were coming from the right place and it wasn't yeah. you know targeted at, at, at you uh and and like i guess it's that might be just their opinion or yeah. it could have been someone else's opinion um yeah. it doesn't mean that that's how everyone feels around you as well and yeah and I, 
and and I think Brendan, I'm so sorry to I, yeah. I just jumped in and cut you off. I'm really sorry. I um uh, I think also like if we're creating a culture of feedback and continuous improvement, it's actually really important because I'm in um I, I'm off class this year. I'm I'm, I'm multi class. I'm atta- attached to a number of classes, but I don't have a, a class of my own. Uh, and uh, we want to build that culture of continuous improvement. And if I'm happy to give feedback to staff, but not happy to receive it, that's I think a little bit um, a little bit hypocritical. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, like a a book that I, I read uh, recently um, was to do with developing. Uh, de- de- I'm just trying to think of the what the, the word was de- developing deliberate. Um, so deliberate. Developmental Organisations by Robert Keegan and Lisa Lay. And I guess the, the gist of the idea is they, they looked at all of these different um, organisations that had uh, high levels of trust and psychological safety within them. And one of the, the things that really stood out to me as I was, I was reading it was how they had all of their staff know what each other's weaknesses were and right. the areas that they were working on to the point where they would be in a meeting with like external people coming in and they would actually like praise each other and call each other out at the meeting in front of these external people you know so for instance um this person that you know they put their hand up and um offered like a a a suggestion or a question or comment you know within this meeting and then straight after that someone else said oh you know i just wanted to to praise so and so for doing that because that's actually her weakness area and that's what she's working on getting involved in these discussions early yeah and so it's just like i guess taking that um that whole culture of development to the extreme where like it's not just things that individuals are working on but understanding that as an organization organization like um, the organization is better and it benefits when each individual improves and then yeah. we can all help each other improve yeah yeah i think uh, brandon i think that i think that's so powerful and, and and really really important and um if i was sitting down with with someone uh, from your team i promise we don't have them on the line even though that would be an amazing podcast episode if we brought them in. Uh, but, but what do you think they would say um, about your leadership? What, what do you think some of the feedback would be that they would give and, and, and do you think they would suggest any areas of improvement? Yeah, I reckon um, definitely I'd have areas of improvement, particularly because I'm at... So this year I'm at two new schools. Right. One school I'm only there one day a week. The other school right. I'm there th- three days a week. And so... That's I've actually found that really difficult to build relationships the way I usually would, you know, when I've been at a school five days a week in an AP role, um, where you you know you're side by side with your colleagues every single day, um, whereas this time you know you're talking about how you've had feedback about, um, you know, you seem like you're always busy. I know that that's probably something I would receive as well. Is that because I'm in you know I'll come in um, on a, a Tuesday or at, the, at one school I'm in on a Friday. And I'm just trying to find my feet and work out like, you know, what do I need to be doing? You know, who am I working with today? What can I do? Um, yeah, and so I, I would definitely feel like I'd get a lot of feedback. Um, like one thing I'm, I'm definitely mindful of as well is that like I, I could probably come across as being a little bit intimidating. Um, yeah, like if, if people kind of know, um, I guess, some of the things that I know or, or what I've done, uh, yeah, that can put a few people off. So I, I just try to um, really work hard at, at building that 
relationship and that trust with teachers like really early on by just you know start of the day going into their classrooms or um yeah trying to spend as much time as possible with them because i know otherwise i'm not going to get anywhere with them yeah i think that's that's important i mean it's a rough gig going in for one day on a friday isn't it i mean it is yeah right so how like look you look you get what you get don't you i mean if you get a friday with brendan that's better than nothing but i mean how um how do you begin building trust in a school that you're there one day a week? I mean, do yeah? How do you prioritize that? You mentioned being vis- visual and going to people's classrooms. Yeah. But the reality is, is that people aren't going to see you till the end of next week. So how do you make sure that you build that trust and accountability? Yeah, and I, I think like one of the, the things that I've just been working on is trying to build that culture of trust. So it's not just about me, but so working with the principal um, to to kind of put together strategies that that can kind of work throughout not just when I'm there not just that week not just a term but things that can be sustainable um, you know long term and um, you know just being really I guess intentional with like um, how you have professional learning sessions and and what happens afterwards and and I guess the, the, the that whole process mm. so how then Brendan do you build in accountability into that process because um, like I said, you may see someone one day and there's a long time between drinks and then you're back in on the Friday. But how do you make sure you're um, taking people through that process of change and also setting up kind of kind of measurable outcomes along the way? Because, I, I mean, I find that really difficult. I love the, the trust-building side of it and we're all getting along and we're all... But yeah. then at some point we have to have a conversation about we've got to get stuff done here. Um, yeah. So how do, you, how do you balance those two things in your role? Yeah, I guess it's it's all like very dependent on the individuals. Uh, you know, like one of the, the things that I've, I've learned about, um, you know, when it comes to kind of implementing changes or, or um, you know, delivering professional learning is that it's dependent on where that individual is at. You know, so what do they, like, what do they currently, what, what sort of mindset do they currently have around whatever you're talking about? Um are they open to change? You know, so there's um, Prochesca and Di Clemente. They done they done this study. It focused more on um, changing uh, drug addicts, but the the process is basically like a lot of the times when we're asking people to change, they're actually in the pre contemplation phase, so they're not even considering change yet. Whereas we actually need them to at least be in that contemplation phase of, of thinking, oh yeah, maybe I do need to change. And so if they're not there and contemplating it we're not going to get any change at all and so um like yeah one of the things that i've kind of found just really important to do is actually um like trying to work out like where where are the teachers at now you know it says almost like with your students you know checking for understanding what do they know are there misconceptions are there things that i can kind of help them with yeah um but yeah if if they're not kind of at least you know seeing you know whether it's evidence um whether it's you know they've actually said it themselves to you you know, so there's also um, a lot about uh, change talk. So you're trying to evoke change talk. So you're trying to get them to actually say it themselves. And, um, you know, there's different kind of ways that we can do that as well through, like I guess, um, you know, using like a, a template or a protocol where they're, they're kind of going through steps to, um, like you said before, self-reflect on their own oh, wow. practice and, and think about, oh, you know, okay, yeah, this is actually what's happening in my classroom. Yeah. Um, so they're actually able to see the problem themselves rather than me coming in or you know someone external coming in telling them this is what yeah. the problem is and this is why you need to change 
Yeah, I, I think that's, um, I, I mean, there's so much in that. There's almost like a, a podcast series in itself in, in, in how do we do that. And I think, um, what are some of the uh, ways that we can, um, sorry, what are some of the things that we need to do when considering kind of new initiatives in school? Because I know there's so much going on. Um, you mentioned before, we don't have enough casuals to cover classes and it's just crazy. And there's so many new things that are happening um, and but how do we? What are some things that we need to consider when we're about to kind of bring in a new initiative? Yeah. Well, f- firstly, I guess the prerequisite to this, and this is kind of what I spoke about before, is just like knowing what the research and the evidence is saying in the first place. And so you're coming from like an informed um, place, and so whether that's to do with curriculum or to do with pedagogy or to do with um, you know I guess systems or processes. Um, so you're actually like looking at what other things are happening. Um, I think it's it's important to to not rush into these things. Um, a lot of the times, like what we'll do is we'll hear about another school, um, you know, they're doing this, or maybe even a teacher within the school has made a suggestion, and and you know, the, so the principal or, or the um, AP they they might really respect this person's opinion and be like, oh yeah, so and so said this, so let's go with this. Um, but when we when we rush into those decisions and we don't actually think about well okay firstly do we have a problem in the first place that needs to be fixed uh, because sometimes you know we'll actually fix something that doesn't need to be fixed uh, things are already going well and and then so we, we put in this change and all that does is um, forces teachers to I guess change what they're doing um, and a lot of times even when we, we ask teachers to change they don't actually make those changes anyway or they don't mm. make the intended changes the way that um, we kind of hope to yeah and so these are other things that need to be considered you know so we need to consider like that, that whole implementation process yeah. so um, you know we have we can create what's called a, a vertical slice team which is where you actually have people from like different levels of the school so it might be school leaders uh, you might have a beginning teacher. You might have an experienced teacher. So just different, different people. You know, you could have a parent. Uh, but yeah, basically getting these different people in together, and they they then become the implementation team. Mm. And so, rather than just going off one person, or what we usually do is we'll just rely on school leadership to make those sorts of decisions. Um, we're actually kind of getting um, a, a really clear look at yeah what sorts of like things we actually need to change and and then what that might look like um, when it's actually being changed as well yeah um and then before you do it like just knowing all right what what do we need to know to stop you know and 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 this is like definitely one conversation i've never heard a school have is actually think about when like how will we know if it's not working and then what will we do to stop because if it's not working we need to stop but most schools what they do is they suffer from um, you know the sunk cost fallacy where we continue to do things based on how much money or how much time and effort we're put into to it um, previously mm, yeah there's there's so much in that isn't there and, and and I think we at some point we need to know what success looks like and also what failure looks like because we can't just continue to do things that we have committed to previously I think it's yeah, vitally important to know I was doing an interview um, gosh a number of months ago now with um, Professor Vivian Robinson, and she talked about that. So the difference between um, change and improvement. Um, And I think how um, it really spoke to me because it just made me think about how many different types of initiatives in schools are just there for the sake of changing things. They don't necessarily 
lead to improvement because if you speak to teachers, they're all very busy doing stuff and no one's sitting around having a break. Yeah. And so actually taking some time and using a bit of um, foresight and thinking, what does success look like? And also, as you said, what does failure look like? Because we can't just keep adding more and more. It's uh, particularly uh, particularly challenging. But I, I thought that was, I mean, so many things that Professor Vivian Robinson has said are just so insightful. But for me, that was the thing I think that really sort of stuck with me. But um, so, Brendan, what does, you talked a little bit about professional learning, and it strikes me that in classrooms we differentiate for our students, but we don't seem to differentiate for the grown-ups who are just older kids. Mm. And so with that in, uh, in mind, what does effective PL look like and how can we do a better job of it? Yeah, well, I guess firstly, like knowing what, what you want to achieve from the professional learning, um, you know, similar to, to kind of what I was saying before is it's like knowing that you've actually, you know, got a problem that you need to fix and then um, that's going to transfer down into like, uh, like the professional learning that you need to provide. Um, a lot of the times we'll just like we get to you know Wednesday afternoon and, and oh yeah it's a pro- professional learning session or can you do something this afternoon and without actually putting together like a proper scope and sequence and looking out like all right these are the things that we need to be working on and this is how we're going to work on it um, yeah I think it's extremely important that you have that plan and, and just knowing all right this is the sort of knowledge that we want to be building but also having an understanding of like cognitive load theory and know that we can't just like throw everything at them and expect them to change all of that in one day. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to kind of have those, those kind of small incremental steps and focus on, um, you know, li- those little things that, you know, one thing at a time, because what we're asking teachers to do a lot of time is, is change ingrained habits. Yeah. You know? And so, Absolutely. yeah, these are things that like, teachers have have just gotten used to and then we're asking them to change in front of a live audience um you know the the kids in front of us like they're they're unforgiving like they're not going to just wait for you while you um you know you practice um and so i think it's just really important that like when you're when you're delivering the professional learning like you know um exactly what it looks like and then and the the teachers actually understand like they've got a, a concrete understanding of what it means for them in the classroom. Um, one of the things that I've, I've kind of learned as I've delivered more um, PO is just the importance of like making it really clear as to like, this is what it looks like. These are non-examples. Um, these are maybe some misconceptions that you might have. Um, these are some things that you can do. And then this is one thing that I want you to do now. And this is kind of what we can work on over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, because, you know, like when, when you're kind of talking before about like, what does my role look like especially when I'm, I'm you know in and out of schools um yeah like one of the things that I've tried to just focus on is is rather than like coming in and um modeling you know a whole lesson actually kind of stripping it back a bit and just focusing on all right let's just work on this one technique you know so um you know with one group we're working on reading fluency so we're, we're put together the other day we had pajama day and went in and uh you know modeled modeled uh this reading fluency lesson in my in my pjs and um yeah like i think what's really important is is just having that shared understanding with the teacher in that planning phase so that um they actually also know what they're looking at whereas in the past when i've what I've tried to do is I've understood uh, uh, that I want the teachers to, to have a concrete understanding, not that abstract, you know, not just 
um, tell them what the theory and the research is. Um, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll show them first. I'll go in and I'll model a lesson. But then because they've got a different mental model on what effective teaching looks like, when they're seeing me, they're picking up different things that yeah, well. maybe weren't the intended things that I wanted them to pick up on. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's just really important to have that kind of shared language, that shared understanding. Um, and, yeah, it, it just keeps coming back to, like, the teachers need to be motivated to make that change yeah. as well, you know, and, and see a reason behind it. But if they don't see that there's a problem in the first place, yeah, then they're not going to be motivated to make that change. Um, and, and I think that's the other thing that we see a lot in education is that we see these um, new plans, new programs, new professional learning that comes in. And we, we do this you know, drive-by PL where one person comes in, they deliver it one day, and then nothing actually happens afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. it comes back to that accountability factor that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but then also just um, the teachers seeing a need to, to change and um, that it's going to have an effect on their students. Fantastic. Absolutely. Um Brendan, I'm just wondering, uh, what has uh, being a dad uh, taught you and uh, has it changed the way that you um, have approached your job in any way? Yeah, look, my, my kids, I guess they're, they're, they're pretty lucky, as your kids would be as well, where they're going to be okay, you know, regardless of, of what their schooling experience is like. Um, yeah, and so I, I had the pleasure of teaching my daughter for one year, Um and that was, yeah, that was awesome. And, and I, I think, like, it, it gives you, I guess, a different perspective on things that, you know, like, while my kids are going to be okay, there are so many other kids out there that aren't going to be okay if, if we yeah. don't get things right in the classroom. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's changed my perspective on, on things, but it probably probably has to an extent. Yeah. yeah. I think that's... Um that's really important. And I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day and, and I was not ready for the um, the immense change that being a dad uh, would, would bring on me. Um, I just could not, nothing could have prepared me for it and, uh, and it's obviously a change for the better. Um, but it really has sort of caused me to, to slow down um, and just take my time. I used to rush around school and do all these things and get the photocopying done and all that's really important. And I had this moment once where I was walking across a playground and this little girl said to me, uh, Mr. Green, can I show you something? And I said, oh, I'm, can, I'll, I'll come back. I'm just about to do something. And I was rushing to the photocopier and I got about 10 metres, uh, sorry, 10 steps across the playground and stopped and turned around and she'd drawn this picture of me. And it was this, um, her dad had recently left um, and it was a picture of me helping her with a reading and it just broke my heart. And mm. And so for me, um, it's really changed the, the pace in which I walk around the school um, and it's made me look up a lot more and engage with kids and realise that if we don't get all the things done that we plan to do, that's okay. Um, but if we miss the interactions and if we miss those uh, little personal touches that we get to have with kids, then we've, we've sort of missed the point. Um, and you only really get one shot at, as you're saying, building trust. And, and, um, and I say more and more that, that my job is actually not about teaching, that the main thing is actually about welfare and connection. And so, yeah, being a dad for me has just caused me to slow down um, and not rush so much. Uh, 
Having said that, it's chaos. You know, in my place, there's, there's always something going on. But, um, <laughs> Brendan, how on earth um, do you find the time, though, to do all the things that you do? I mean, you are... Um, uh, you are. You feel like it seems like you're on Twitter all of the time. Uh, that you, you obviously um, have a podcast, uh, learning with Mr. Lee. Uh, you somehow are raising children. Uh, you have a, a job that sounds pretty intense. But how on earth do you do you manage it all? And do you have any sort of practical ways that you keep it together? Is it as smooth and as well uh, oiled as it appears, or are there times that you feel like it's falling apart? Um, I guess like part of it is probably. Uh, being intentional with my time, mm. you know, and so, like, yeah, just knowing. All right, when I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids. When I'm when I'm working, um, just try to really focus on what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, like I'll, I'll I'll definitely spend a lot of time at night, probably you know, a good hour or so each night, just um, yeah, do, doing the podcast or, or um, chatting to people or whatever. And um, yeah, I think it's just like for me, exercise is important as well. You know, I'll, I'll do a lot of my listening to pod, other podcasts like yours uh, when I'm at the gym, yeah. and, and so I'm kind of working all my muscles at once. Uh, yeah. And and I think yeah, like just having that kind of um, that balance is is just really important. And and like you never like when I say balance, I don't mean like fifty fifty or. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that's forever changing. You know, it's constantly. Uh, evolving as you kind of move along in life and, and you know you're going to have different times where you need to be uh, more of a dad and then other times where you know you, you, your kids might be a bit more independent and mm-hmm. um, yeah I think it's it's just important to have I guess the understanding that that's okay as well is yeah. you know and, and like you kind of said like we all need those those sorts of uh, wake up calls every now and then when you you know you, you realize oh actually I need to be present now and mm-hmm. um, you know understand like oh, I'm here for the kids and but I'm not here for the kids, so I need yeah. to kind of, um, yeah, just just right. make sure. Like, I think, yeah, what you said, you hit the nail on the head there, just slow down and, and um, yeah, be focused on what's happening. So, um, Brendan, I do want to be respectful of your time, so just a, just a couple more questions. But um, would you mind maybe telling me a little bit about learning with Mr. Lee and also do you have any uh, tips for... Um, for me, as I uh, take on the podcasting. <laughs> oh, you're the uh, you're the the one that's experienced when it comes to podcasting. Oh, I, I, mate, yeah. I just think I've made every single mistake possible. So uh, we just don't publish those ones, which is great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but what are uh, what's the sort of the? I mean, you don't have to launch a podcast. You've got other things that you could be doing. But uh, yeah, why learning with Mister Lee? And also, yeah, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from it? Yeah, so like I said, yeah, learning learning with Mr. Lee, uh, like started off as a blog, um, and for me it was just about I guess, uh, in a way, detailing my own journey and then sharing anything that I learnt um, as I went along, and um, through that, like what I kind of was able to get was you know, when you put yourself out there, people kind of start to learn about who you are and what you have to offer yeah. uh, and so yeah I probably build up some good connections um, from that and then for me the next step just in my own development was uh, you know trying to spend as much time as possible with like-minded people or people that I wanted to learn more from mm. and I just saw the uh, the podcast as a great excuse for doing that it's uh, a lot yeah. less awkward to ask you know someone that you admire um, 
for you know an hour chat over That's zoom it. or whatever <laughs> um, yeah. when you when you can say oh would you like to come on my podcast rather than saying um yeah can i just chat with you for an hour although a lot of you know in saying that a lot of people that i have kind of um connected with they'd be more than willing to do that as yeah. well uh and That's yeah I, I think it's just yeah really important to i guess understand that a lot of the the so-called you know edu celebs that that are out there it's true. Most, most of them are just teachers at the end of the day and um you know or, or maybe some of them are researchers but a lot of them they don't really have egos at all um and and they're just like you and i just trying to do their best and, and spread the word and yeah. um, support other people in in what they're doing yeah. so uh yeah the the podcast knowledge for teachers podcast is um for me it's just been about trying to showcase um some of those nuances involved with uh delivering effective school improvement and and trying to yeah get across some as many stories as possible uh so that maybe someone out there is able to resonate with with what they're hearing or um you know they might pick up some tips from from some of these teachers and yeah for me it's just getting some of those voices out there like what you're doing uh that maybe haven't been given that platform before as well yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that's vital. I mean, everyone that I have asked that I've been sort of scared to ask, they've said yes. I don't think I've, oh, no, I lie. I had one no, um, and it was a not yet, and that person will rem- remain nameless because I want to get them on the podcast. Um, but I just think the generosity of our profession has really um, surprised me um, because it's wonderful to see people that, that, that want to really make a difference. And my hope is that there would be people and I know that we'll be all over the world listening to our conversation and, and it's not about promoting something that we're doing. It's about trying to be better educators so the kids in our class benefit. And so I, I commend you for doing it. And for me, it's been such a wonderful um, process. I, I think I read somewhere that a podcast only lasts six six episodes. And so I remembered because I was so stubborn, I recorded seven and just released them all in one go. <laughs> Um, and then thought at least uh, at least I'm ahead of the curve, and then I just said I'm going to do one every week and see what happens. And and, and uh, I wouldn't have connected with people like yourself or or, or other or other researchers or other quote unquote edu celebrities um, if it wasn't for this medium. And so I'm so incredibly grateful that people would that people would take the time. And I just find it amazing that people can hear a relatively intimate conversation that we're having broadcast across the world. And who knows where that will go? I mean, we both only got a certain amount of time. I don't have a time to, I don't have time to chat to thousands of people. I've got time to chat to one person and broadcast that to thousands of ears. And so it's been a really interesting and wonderful medium. Um, I'm sure you agree. It's amazing to get to, that we can have a conversation and get it out there into the world, which I think is really, uh, really cool. Um, but uh, Brendan, just two more quick questions. Like I said, I do want to be respectful of your time. I know your kids are sick and you need to go and uh, be a dad or just switch off for the evening. But um, if I was sitting down with you, uh, having a strong flat white uh, in a cafe in the inner city, um, and I was just about to start teaching, um, what would be one piece of short advice that you would give to me? I'm bright eyed, I'm bushy tailed, I'm ready to go. What would you say? Jeez, one one bit of advice, Matt. That's a a, a big a couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, like, probably behavior management. You know, get that right. 
Um, yeah. Because a, a lot of the time, you know, we have all of these different conversations around curriculum and um, pedagogy, but if you haven't got a settled, calm class, yeah. no, nothing else matters. Yeah. And it's probably the hardest thing to get right as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so especially, you know, in, in the, the day and age that we're in where um, we've got a lot of competing interests, um, you know, both as adults and also as children. And so it can just be really hard to to pay attention in the, in the classroom. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, just focus on getting that right at the start. Absolutely. And uh, if I was about to, same scenario, if I was about to step into a school leadership role, what would your piece of short advice be? Uh, spend time with people. <laughs> yeah, nice. I think that's, that's essential. Um, Brendan, finally, just in closing, um, what do you want your legacy to be um, in education? What would you like to be remembered for? Because I know you're we're probably a similar age um, and it seems like we'll do this job forever, but at some point we won't. So what would you like to be remembered for? I guess just uh, someone that, that tried to make a difference and, and done as much as he could in, in doing so. Amazing. Brendan, I'm um, I'm so, so grateful that you would talk to me today. Um, I'll uh, reference the things that we talked about uh, in the show notes. Um, and like I said, I'm hugely grateful that you would take the time out of your busy schedule to, to have a conversation with me um, in the hope that it would make a difference um, in some teachers' lives. So I'm really, really grateful. Uh, thank you for taking the time and um, I look forward to staying in touch and seeing uh, what else you're up to. Thanks, Matt, and, and I really appreciate your support in, in uh, helping me launch my own podcast as well. So thanks for everything. Thanks a lot. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.